Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. My name is Chet. I'm your host. And uh, today we have a really cool artist named Taya Sachs. Um, looking forward to interviewing her. I uh, have been friends with her for a while. I see her and her husband and lovely daughter at art shows over the years. And uh, she's really a great artist super talented family um and she's a really nice person and a big part of the dark art society so looking forward to that if you hopefully this noise isn't too loud in the background um i had to keep the ac on here because it's just too damn hot so i also have a little slightly different camera angle today for those of you watching on youtube so that it kind of looks like i'm looking at the person i've got my monitor lined up with my camera so we'll see how that goes um yeah so what's been going on here can adjust this a bit i uh, just been painting for my zombie death bots show they're going pretty fast luckily because i'm running out of time um but all the prep work is really equaling out to um make the painting process much faster so uh that's good. That's making me feel good. I got to get back onto tool posters this week, though, because I owe a bunch and uh, got some frame commissions and all kinds of stuff happening. Anyway, so that's what's been going on with me. Um, been reading and watching a lot of Mitch Horowitz lately. If you don't know Mitch Horowitz, look him up. <clears throat> He's great. I really want to get him on the show for an interview. Uh, what else? Uh, Okay, we got to get on with it. Taya's waiting. Um, no new subscribers this week. If you want to subscribe, you can go to Dark Art Society or patreon.com slash darkartsociety and join for as little as a dollar a month. Get in the Discord, get in the Facebook group and all that shit, although I've barely been on Facebook myself much lately. Um, if you want to join at the $5 and above level, you, you can uh, win the chance to get a free skull from skull shop check it out there's one here's my two skull shop skulls a kid and a a woman woman kid i believe adolescent kid or adolescent woman anyway their skulls are great website is s-k-u-l-l-s-h-o-p-p-e.com kyle's awesome and a supporter of the podcast and he's uh, giving away one free skull for anybody who joins at the five dollar and above level so um yeah join uh, the patreon at the five dollar and above level you get to support the podcast and keep it free for everybody to listen to and win a chance to get a free skull or get a chance to win a free skull <laughs> okay uh that's about it. Let's get on with the interview. Nobody cares what I have to say. Um, I think that's everything. Patreon.com slash Dark Art Society. I've got a Patreon too. Patreon.com slash Chetzar. If you're interested in that, I'm showing all the zombie death bots stuff. As you can see, this is a painting right here. Time lapses and tutorials and all kinds of cool stuff. All the time I'm, I'm updating that thing. There's so much work. If you haven't been on my Patreon for the last three or four years, 
you'll be shocked at how much new work I have because I've only been posting it on there. Anyway, uh, let's get on with this interview. I'm going to shut up now. All right. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy. What's up, Taya? Not it's, much. How are you doing? It's I'm Taya, this, right? Taya. Taya. I'm okay. trying to get this continue button off my screen and it won't go away. <laughs> but you can see me, right? Yeah, you're all good. Okay, there isn't <laughs> like a big rectangle in front of my face. Okay. No, no, no. No, I remember for the longest time, I kept thinking you were Thea or Thea. And then it's like, I, I think I heard Daniel say Taya. And I was like, oh, I've been mispronouncing your word for your name for like two years. It's Taya, um, <laughs> but almost everybody gets it wrong the first time they say it. Oh, that makes um, me feel sometimes better. Sometimes I don't even bother to correct people. You know, like, oh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> fine. Yeah, yeah. Since I was a little girl, so. Yeah, you get used to it, I guess. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time, and then we talked about scheduling it way back. I apologize for the air, air conditioning sound. It's too damn hot. It's like 91 right now where I'm at. So um, I can imagine if in there's Monrovia, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just too, too hot. I'm like, uh, I don't want to, I want to enjoy the interview. I don't want to just be all sweaty waiting for it to be over. So I'm like, forget <laughs> it. I'm just going to just gonna be a little bit of noise in the background, but anyway. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on. I'm a big fan of your work. It's been really cool to see you come up in the scene and everything and uh, oh thank you, know, you i knew you for a while and didn't even realize you were such a great painter because i knew you through daniel oh, well, your husband and it's like you. what yes then you started showing i was like whoa a totally different really unique perspective and uh thank absolutely you so like you know looks looks like your work and instantly recognizable and interesting <laughs> and weird <laughs> Just the way I like it. Interesting and weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, that means a lot coming from you. Um, I was actually thinking about when we first met you, and I think it was about 10 years ago, you were in a show with Rick Baker and Bob Lizarraga and The Creep and some other wonderful artists in a um, Universal Studios Monsters show at Halloween Town. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah Rick That's did all those amazing. Oh, really? How oh, funny. Yeah, yeah I think so. All those amazing uh, paintings Rick did, those Universal Monster paintings were so cool. Yeah, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, well, that, wow, I didn't realize, 10 years, sheesh. Yeah. Yeah, and well. And we were, we were all excited to meet you because we knew your work from Copro <laughs> and from other places. Oh, cool. Um, one of my favorite, it's still one of my very favorite paintings of yours, one of the first ones I saw was um, the one that's, it echoes the I want you for the US Army poster. Oh yeah. It's, it's a, called yeah. It's called I want a you. Pop <laughs> hat with a, a gas mask and instead of a finger pointing, he's pointing a gun at you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, that's that's iconic. You know, just, oh thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I'll post that one today on my Twitter now that you mentioned it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that was like 2007 or something. It was such a such a it's it was a really long time ago. Yeah, yeah. a really long time ago and then uh so much of that stuff came true in a weird way. Um I was just thinking about <clears throat> I, I don't it's, you can always do that with your work. It's like you just paint what you're interested in and a couple of years later you see it become like a big issue in society and it's like what's going on here? It's like am I tuning into the 
some weird cosmic thing or something or what? Cause it's like, it's happened so many times with my own art. I know a lot of other people, Alex Gray's got a kind of an amazing story about that painting he did that has the world trade center. Have you ever heard of, about that? It's a beast. So. Yeah. It's a beastie boy. It's called the tree of life, I think. And it's like a tree. And on one side is like nature and it's all happy. And the other side, it's kind of like everything's dying. And I think that's how it goes. And it, and it was on a beastie boys album cover or insert a beastie one of the beastie boys albums and on on one side of it it's got the twin towers and and i think two airplanes flying towards it or an airplane flying towards the twin towers and it was like before that happened and it's just weird how that works you know i don't know (laughs) how we got onto that but um no no that's (laughs) i was actually I hate to mention this during the recording, but I finally got that continue box off the screen. Yay. So, are <laughs> you, you sure better? you got the are you sure you got the beginning of it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's it's recording. It's recording. Okay. It's oh, I, I see what to... you're saying. Continue. No, no, no. It's I think uh it should be fine. I mean okay. everything looked good on my end. It was said it was recording. So okay, anyway, fine. well moving right ho- along. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear about your whole art history because I, you know, I only, I know you and your family, I know you, Daniel and Kira, and I know that your relationship to mod, which is the weirdest thing ever. I know. <laughs> it is I like, know. You know, especially to people of a certain age, like myself who grew up in the seventies watching mod, it's like, it's, it was like the weirdest thing to find out that that, that was Daniel's mother, right? Or yep. yeah, yeah, like I don't know if that's okay to talk about, but I think it's so cool. No, it's okay. Yeah, um, yeah, because she was awesome. Because <laughs> people know her from Golden Girls, but I know her from Mod first because I'm old. I actually didn't watch Mod when I was growing. Really, up. it was um, really yeah. funny. It's it was a really good show. Like for back then, she was like well, the same I, kind of character, smartass. Yeah, well, I've, I've seen it since, obviously. Yeah. Oh, but okay. when I met. When I met Daniel, I was a visiting high school senior at Bard College, and he was a freshman. And he ended up not staying at Bard. He told me he was not happy there with the theater department and wanted to move to a different college. So he he went to, after that year, he moved to Sarah Lawrence College. But when I met him, I was hanging out. What they do at Bard is they have um, you know senior weekends where you can visit and you stay with um, some women who are Bard students. Mm-hmm. and. I was hanging out at the uh, commons waiting for them to take me into dinner, you know? And so I was sitting there and this really cute, really furry guy comes up to me (laughs) and he goes, hello. (laughs) And um, I thought he was much older than he actually was. He was only 18 and I was 17, but um, he had a heavy five o'clock shadow. I'd never seen that on a guy that age. So I thought to myself, oh my God, this cute professor thinks I'm lost. And it was Probably Daniel. Way too old for me. Yeah. <laughs> but it turned out he was 18. And um, he said, he said, I don't think I've seen you here before. And I said, No, I'm a visiting high school senior. I'm waiting for some women to you know take me to dinner. He said, Well, can I have dinner with you too? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that's so cool. So at a, a certain point in the evening, I ended up ditching the women I was <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess you made the right decision because you guys are yeah, still together, good. right? I mean, I sneaked back into their room, you know, like, you know, like 11 o'clock at night, I sneaked into the room where I was supposed to be staying, but I, I don't think they appreciated that very much. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Daniel's a super talented guy also. Oh, he's wonderful. He's, he's really wonderful. great person, cool guy. I dig him. He 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 made those uh, tombstones for for my I think it was the dystopia show. He, he yes, made the and tombstone, the, tombstones and that for Palestine, me. That big that oh, light yeah, yeah. Eyes, the yeah, hell yeah, yeah. So cool. What a, what a, yeah, and then and uh your daughter's like super talented. It's like Thank you guys are like a super talented family. Her artwork is her <laughs> artwork's amazing. Thank her you artwork's so amazing. Much. I haven't seen it in a while, but I know the stuff you were showing me before was like damn she's like the real thing she's, oh, she's legit you. you know here's a rhode island school of design now oh uh, really yeah Amazing. she was an illustration major and now she's switching to printmaking um and cool. so she but she already has a really solid base in illustration yeah with her education so she's gonna she's a natural as a means to do illustration i know it's funny because i know her I knew her when she was a little kid. A little girl. You know? yeah, I think you <laughs> like 10 when we first met you. Yeah, it's so funny. And yeah, uh, yeah she's awesome. She's got she's got a great sense of humor too. Like a she great, does, yeah. great dark sense of humor. She's really quick too. Yeah. She's, like, she, she's really good at making up puns. Like, uh -huh. you know, she'll put words together and just make, you know, puns just instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah. She's and great. Daniel, I mean, oh my God. If, I can say in so many ways that if it wasn't for Daniel, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. I wouldn't be as happy. Um, we thought we had a connection when we met and we actually were separated for, you know, we dated a little in college and then sort of went to opposite coasts to work mm. and like almost married other people. It was just, it's kind of a one wow. Harry and Sally story where, but we always stayed in touch and you know, so things with other people didn't work out and, you know, he would come to New York cause his dad lived in New York. Um, mm. so, um, you know, he'd come to New York and say, Hey, you want to go out for brunch? And after a few years that turned into, Hey, you want to go to my college reunion? Hey, do you want to go to my cousin's <laughs> wedding? And then one Christmas, um, I didn't even know he was coming to town. I was like, you know, I was like, I just come home from hanging out at my parents' apartment. They live in New York city. And, um, you know, I was in my own apartment. It's like the day after Christmas, he called me up. He said, Hey, I'm in town. I was like, Oh, Okay. You know, so we got together and he said, you know, I think we need to make this work as a relationship. And so we like, okay, you know, I, <laughs> I would really like that to happen, you know, but how do we make it happen? We're on opposite coast. So what we did was, um, um, okay, how do I start this? Oh, we decided to visit each other's cities once a month. So every month, one of us would take turns visiting the other cities. And um, I was working in publishing at the time. I was a, a science scientific journal editor. And wow. um, so I went from taking no vacation and, you know, just to taking all my vacation and all my sick days <laughs> all of a sudden. Because, you know, and I'd show up every two months, I'd show up with a suitcase and people go, where are you going? You going on vacation? I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go visit some friends on the West Coast because the last thing I wanted was for people to find out what I was doing. Right. And then if it didn't work out, be like, oh, we could have told you that. Yeah, right. That's a relationship. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's like, you never so hear one about day those I working just out. Showed up and told everybody I was engaged. You know, and they were like, what? I didn't even know you were seeing anybody. <laughs> that's great. That happened yeah. with my, my mom and my stepdad, you know, it's like oh, my yeah. mom and uh, stepdad were high school sweethearts Oh. the love of each other's lives and then my mom uh ended up marrying i don't know oh uh, my stepdad went to went away to college um on a 
was like the captain of the football team or something. <laughs> and oh. he, and he, he got like some, I think maybe got a scholarship or, or something, but he went away to college. So they broke up and then she ended up marrying my dad, having three kids and then getting divorced when I was a kid. And then they met back up. He moved, he was back in town. They met back up and it was like, you know, they finally got together and anyone that knew wow. my parents knew that they were like soulmates, hundred percent. It was like, you know, they were supposed to be together and they pretty much spent every moment of their lives together until, until the end, you know, it's pretty amazing. That, That's you know. wonderful. Yeah. And he so was cool. James. Zola yeah. Was yeah. Name? We call him I Jimmy. Saw him <laughs> I watched your movie. Um, I like to paint monsters and uh, <laughs> some of his work. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's cool. Right. He was such he a cool guy. Work. Yeah. He really was a, beautiful. amazing and a super funny, great guy. He was like kind of the perfect, perfect figure to come into my life after did the he divorce. actually teach you did he teach you how to paint no not really <laughs> he, he did one no that, that's not true one time when i was nine years i think nine years old nine or ten he sat down he sat me down and he's like i'll help you paint a painting and i was very like at, when i was a kid i was very i was like i would i would always like critique his work oh, <laughs> I, was, really? I was like one of those kids yeah, I you know, he 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 used to joke with me as an adult about that. Um, but I was very much like, I don't want anyone showing me, I want to do it myself. I was just like that. And um, but he sat down and he kind of showed me how to um, you know, he kind of was showing me how to mix paints a little bit and how to paint. And um, so he kind of helped me on this one painting that I still have. It's like a wanted poster. Of, of a, uh, I'll have to post that on Twitter today too. It's like a want, wanted poster of a, of a, like a cowboy bad guy sort of oh, cartoony, cool. very mad magazine. Cause I was really into mad magazine. And um, I was too as a kid. Yeah, it's, it was the best. Uh, and so he kind of, he did, did that with me once. And then the rest of it was like just being around him all the time was how, you know, he was, he would answer questions if I had them, but he, he went to art school in the sixties and he kind of felt like it didn't help him, you know, because he, uh, he, it was, you know, it was all the push towards conceptual and, and oh, min yeah. minimalist and expressionism mm -hmm. and stuff. And he wanted to paint like illustrations type realism and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so I think he had this kind of like, and it was the seventies, you know, it was a different era. They had like more of a hands-off approach let your kid learn at their pace they're very encouraging that, of what i was doing but they you know he wouldn't step in and say you know you never he would never step in and say you know you, if you did that it might be a little better he never did anything like that and i'm like i would do that i do that with my granddaughter <laughs> she doesn't want to hear it though she's just like me she's like she wants to do it all herself and i'm like all right i get it but um yeah, so I think it was more of an osmosis thing because his studio was in the den of the house. Mm -hmm. It was all around. There was paintings everywhere from, I don't know, age six or I can't remember if it was six or nine when they got married. But he was around probably from six or seven on. And um, yeah, paintings everywhere and then an open studio that I could walk into anytime. Oh, so it's good. like, you know, you get a lot out of that. You don't think about it, but you but when you go to sit down and start painting, you know, I don't know what you, you had school education. So um, I imagine it's, it's not, wasn't this way for you, but I think for a lot of people that want to paint, they just have nowhere to start. They don't know what, they don't know what brushes are like what, but when you grow up and seeing that 
But yeah, the brushes are kind of on the, you put them on the side. They're in yep. a jar. There's turpentine, there's oil paints, there's a palette laid out. And it's like, it makes it a little easier to get into it. And plus it's like, you're always observing. I'm all, I was always like just watching and paint and stuff. But anyway. Well, kids are like sponges. I yeah. mean, they, they don't even know how much they're learning, you know, just right. watching. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think just looking at art a lot is super helpful. And there was, like it I is. said, there was really good paintings around all the time. So, um, so where did you grow up? I actually... Oh, um, no. oh, I grew up in, um, well, I was born in Boston. I was born okay. in Boston, Mass. Um, my, my parents are both from Virginia, um, but my dad was, my dad's a doctor. So he was oh. practicing medicine in Boston when I was born. Um, well, he was actually, I think he was a medical resident when I was born. Mm -hmm. So he was, you know, he was working, you know, back then medical residents worked like crazy, like 48 hour shifts with right. six hours sleep in between. And my, my mom said my dad would literally fall asleep at the dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then around that time they had a baby. So yeah, so, yeah they, um, you know, my parents were like real American dream people. They, they uh, didn't have money to go to college. So they, um, they got scholarships to college and, you know, and um, my dad uh, did some work with the army um, you know, Walter Reed Medical Center to help, you know, pay for his education. Mm. And um, my mom, same thing, you know, and my, my parents were both very artistic people, um, even though they didn't pursue it as, my dad didn't pursue it as a career, but he wanted to be a cartoonist when he was very young. Oh, wow. And um, when my grandmother died, we found this box of his drawings from the time he was in middle school and high school. Mm -hmm. And they were really well done drawings of action scenes like athletic fields with all these football players going uh, and <laughs> and battle scenes with like medieval knights with swords oh, yeah, and shields yeah. and on horseback and yeah you know, and, and all of them were like these uh, yeah, that's boy stuff it's like yeah, any, any totally. boys that are artistically inclined are drawing like <laughs> war scenes battle scenes exactly. hot rods and cars and stuff like that it's like all the stuff i used to draw too yeah, that's right. That's yeah, that's what the whole box was. And I was just I'd never really seen his artwork before, you know, and you know, this was when I was, I don't know, I guess I was um, you know, in my twenties. My oh wow. Dad, so you didn't you didn't know as a I'd kid. never seen it before. Interesting. You know? And I was like, wow, he's really good. And he said, Yeah, you know, I, I was really interested in cartooning, but I wasn't sure I could support a family doing it. So I went into well, medicine. Yeah, I think that's a smart it choice. Is hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> I Most mean, cartoonists find it hard to do it. Oh yeah, yeah. And becoming a doctor, imagine. I'm, I imagine he's super smart and super talented to be able to, you know. That's thank you. Yeah, he's not for he's everybody. A very, very smart guy, and he actually was one of the people who told me you kind of have to have a day job. You know, don't don't forget to have a day job so you can support <laughs> yourself. So, which is one reason I went into publishing, and publishing kind of took over my life when I was a young adult. So okay, I didn't okay. get around to doing art. Yeah, yeah. Until I was middle-aged right so, yeah let's yeah. hear i want to hear the story like uh so growing up was this was this an interest you know uh, as when you're uh, a little girl were you artistically inclined and drawing and stuff all the time and yeah your, your parents were cool with it and supportive and all that yeah um when i was young um i i drew from a young age and my mother um made sure i had uh art supplies, you know, drawing supplies, you know, little watercolor paint sets, mm. finger paints, clay. <laughs> and, you know, she found local programs where my brother and I could could do art. 
Um, and she painted with watercolors when I was young. She also did oh. some sculpture. Wow. She showed in some local art shows. Oh, um, so you got it. You got it in your blood for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they, from a practical standpoint, they couldn't have been more supportive. You know, they, you know, gave me opportunity after opportunity to, you know, develop art when I was growing up. Oh, cool. What I did with it was kind of a surprise to them. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, they, with the content that I now do, they, they try to get it and be supportive. <laughs> but I think they're not a hundred percent, you know, it's a which, different, which different era. Yeah. I mean, they came from, you know, conservative background. And right. so they, you know, so they, they are trying to get into it. And, you know, there are some things that I just don't show them because yeah, I don't yeah. think it would be their bag, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so some things you, I just, they just don't need to see, you know, yeah. like some of the stuff I do for, you know, the, you know, the really dark stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's understandable. Um, yeah. So did you, you went to art? school no no you didn't go to art school so no i um i went to i went to bard college when i was young um i i really wanted thought i wanted to be a writer when i was young so i went to bard college and i studied religion which was the happened to be the academic subject i was most interested in wow um when i went into college i thought oh well i want to write so i should study literature and to me, literature was great and I appreciated it, but it was just a bunch of other people's fiction. And I wanted to learn a subject hmm. to feed my own head. So, wow. so I switched to religion and I wrote poetry and I did two art classes in college, but only two. Um, I just didn't know how serious I was about it. Um, and um, I went into publishing after college. Um, I, I got a job as a, a well, my first job was at Dover Publications. Um, oh, really? And yeah, a lot of artists know Dover because yeah. <laughs> they publish inexpensive, they're the equivalent of inexpensive coffee table books. And well, the way they- Aren't the Dover books, the they're like clip art books? Yeah, they do those too. Yeah, yeah th that's, how I, that's how I know the name. It's like, I grew up on Dover books before, oh, yeah. the, before the internet. If you were like making a punk rock flyer or something, you'd get Dover books and you'd photocopy the- images yeah. to make collages and stuff that's what yeah that well that's that's dover's main business model is what they what they figured out they could do is take books that were in the public domain you know they mm -hmm. were copyright free um and the images they would take the plates you know from the old old books you know um and uh they would put new front matter in the book repaginate the book um and add new captions and write a new introduction and i actually got to do some of those books um, oh, wow. when I was an editor. It's a small company, or at uh, least it was then. So mm -hmm. when I started in publishing, I was offered two jobs, one at Cambridge University Press, where I would have been an editorial assistant, which meant I would have you know typed letters and answered phones for editors. <laughs> right. And Dover was the other option where they offered me a list of 20 books, and a few of them were coloring books. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> But some of them were really cool, like they were re, like republishing old art books. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to do the list of 20 books, you know, even if some of them are coloring books, you know, right. and, and I got to that led me to become for a few years what is known in publishing as a production editor, where you get you get a, the manuscript for a book and you get a list of the illustrations and the um, the um, photographs that are needed for the book. And it's your job to get the manuscript fact-checked and proofread 
and um, get the the illustrations drawn or painted and get the photographs acquired. Um, so, wow. so it was my job to like put books together. Um, and so I did that for, after Dover, I did that for textbooks, kids like for middle school and high school. Wow. Um, I worked for a company and this was a really high pressure job. It was a company that was known as a packager. What they would do is um, a packager was somebody who would, a company that would create the package of an entire book ready for publication and sell it to a publisher. Hmm. So we did textbook packages for all the major publishers in New York, wow. or most of them. Um, and um, so, but the hours were real burnout hours. Like I remember, um, you know, being in the office at three o'clock in the morning with a circle of like people with bags under their eyes and we were eating potato chips for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> the deadlines were so tight. Right. Um, but I learned what I learned that really became valuable to my art was how easy it is to do research. Um, mm. You know, I came out of college and, and you know, I'd done it's research. An, it's fun it to do research, really you know? And I got to write some stuff too. Um, mm. I got to write, um, scary and ghostly songs for this book and cassette children's package and oh, it ended up not cool. getting it was really <laughs> cool to work on it actually ended up not getting published because the the publisher thought it wasn't quite scary enough oh, it was yeah. very folksy and not very scary <laughs> but i got to write like a scary children's song and i got to work with illustrators and i got to go to the library and find public domain you know american folk tales you know um, and that was actually how I found the book Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, illustrated by Stephen Gamel, mm -hmm. which I think is just like a Bible for a lot of dark artists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. such a beautiful book. Yeah. Um, the illustrations are just so terrifying. Yeah, they're um, really cool. Yeah, yeah, they're wonderful. And his style is just wonderful. I think when you were in that show with, um, um, oh, why am I blanking his name? Um, Guillermo? Not, yeah, Guillermo. Thank you. Mm -hmm. How can I blank on that name? It's, it's middle age. I blank on things that I know. Ah, tell me but, about yeah. it. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. But there was a, at least one Stephen Gamel painting or drawing, I mean, in that collection. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, my God, it's an original Stephen Gamel. Yeah, I was just yeah. like over the moon, so, like, you, know, in, you know, live. Right. Um, so so being in publishing was it was especially at that job. It was a lot of pressure, a lot of long hours where I just couldn't do anything else. But um, but um, I learned how to do picture research and how to write and how to you know work with illustrators. So I kind of knew their process. Right. Around that time, I was living in a I was living in Brooklyn, and one of my neighbors in my apartment building said, "Hey, I think you might really dig this book. I'm gonna give it to you as a gift." It was a Robert Crumb sketchbook, uh -huh. and I was interested in art, you know, I'd done some drawing and, you know, in, in college. And I was just like, oh, I don't know if I'd ever really do anything with it. And then when I saw Robert Crumb's sketchbook, I was like, oh my God, this is fucking great. Yeah. You know? And um, <laughs> this is like an epiphany. And um, mm -hmm. I, not long after that, I got my own sketchbook and started drawing in it. And I thought, you know, maybe I should try to do something with this at night you know maybe i could take night classes or something and i found out that parsons school of design which was in new york um offered classes and i remember calling my brother up and saying you know they've got these classes one is just 
intro to illustration and another is editorial illustration, which sounds more interesting, you know, because you like you pretend you're doing illustrations for newspapers and magazines. Right. But I don't know if I'm really ready for that. And he said, you know what? If you take intro to illustration, they're gonna have you drawing pictures of squirrels. Take the editorial illustration. <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was right. It was the right choice. Oh good. So that was when I started, you know, working with you know, a college, it was a night class. Mm -hmm. So, you know, other students were either like me, they were taking the class after work or they were um, Parsons BA student, BFA students who, you know, needed some extra credit. So they were taking night classes. Um, and that just changed everything. Um, it still took me a very long time to get around to doing a lot of art because mm -hmm. I was still working full time. I took classes at SVA too, at the School of Visual Arts, because they also had night classes. I took comic book art with Joe Orlando, who was the oh, really DC Comics at the time. Yeah. Wow. And um, I took um, a, um, a pen and ink drawing class, and that professor encouraged me to do the MFA program. She said, "You know, you're you know you should get more serious about this and maybe do the MFA at SVA." But I just didn't know how I would pay for it or right. how I would live if yeah. I was, you know, I had my full-time job. I was like, no, I just can't, you yeah. know? So I, I just took night classes where I could. Um, and so that was my art education. I taught myself how to do oil painting after I moved here. Wow. Um, and I learned to do it from um, Boris Viejo's, uh, uh, I forget the exact title. It's a fantasy painting technique. Yeah. I have that book. Technique. That book yeah. is amazing. I, I got that book. A friend of mine gave it to me right when I was starting to paint. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, I, I knew from, I dabbled, I saw my dad work and, but the way that, that he shows there's a, there's, I, I don't remember what's in the book at this point, but I know that there was that one demo where he kind of like traces the image on, paints everything with burnt umber, I believe, over the whole, or no, he, he outlines it with thin wash of burnt umber, right? And then he paints- he Acrylic the, underpainting. Oh, okay, okay, right. acrylic underpainting. Right, with brown, like brown though, or something, or burnt umber, doesn't he? And then he does the background in oil, like a sky, like he kind of does what I wash over the whole background to kind of get that in. Yeah, the underpainting. I don't remember exactly the steps. The thing that I took away, was the medium that he used with the paint. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, um, he he was an illustrator, so he needed things to dry very fast. Right. So he used a combination of turpentine and blue cobalt dryer. Okay, yeah. Mix those two together. And I liked that because it enabled me to let layers dry very fast and I could learn faster, I could paint mm -hmm. faster. The only thing is that it makes the painting itself come out very flat. It looks mm. like acrylic paint. Oh, wow. Um, I've never so, used cobalt dryer. I always use liquid. I've always used liquid, but that's what I use now. Yeah. I actually I was talking to uh the artist Robert Heckman at Hyena Gallery. And you know, that was when I first started showing at Hyena. I met Robert there and he was also showing there. And um I said, Yeah, I, I've been using this technique that Boris Viejo uses, you know, where I mix cobalt dryer with and he said, Oh, I just use liquid. I said, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think cobalt's <laughs> well, like kind of I tried that to work work better for me yeah. isn't it kind of toxic too that's what i think that i i avoided cobalt dryer because of the toxicity too i don't know i don't oh. know if it is or not i didn't even really think about that when i started i don't know if I, it's true don't don't quote me on it i just assumed it was for some reason but um yeah 
that was a, a really um, an important book for me. It was like one step uh, uh, on the path for me as far as learning how to paint. Cause I kind of knew everything, but to see it done in steps. Cause I, I know there's one demo in there where it's like he painted the figure just with washes, like probably acrylic, like you're saying, burnt umber, kind of just out, you know, outline it, does all the values. And then he did the background with a broad brush. And it's like mm -hmm. exactly how I'm doing these paintings now for this show. It's really weird that we're talking about this because I, I wasn't painting like that for for a while, but it's that's it's, fantastic. It's really oh, weird. Oh, thanks. Uh mushroom head. Um, <laughs> well, I think I saw it online too. Yeah. <laughs> you posted the Dark Art Society. Yeah, I think I saw uh, it. Yeah, yeah. I've been posting them on my Patreon and stuff. But um, yeah, so that was a big one for me. Just yes, seeing that one. And, and then another book called How to Paint Like the Old Masters. Have you ever read that one? I have that one. Yeah, that's yeah. a great one. I learned probably the most from that book, I think. That's another book that, that actually recommends the use of burnt umber as a... Um, a, a, a tracing medium mm -hmm. like you color you have a drawing and on the back of the drawing if you want to trace it you cover the back with burnt umber um pigment oh and then you trace with that right so i've tried that and i like that um I, it works well i also find that um you know soral tracing paper works really right. well the only thing is that the, the graphite gets all smudgy and makes you know yeah, areas yeah. kind of gray so i guess the the burnt umber works better in that respect it doesn't make it all dirty and ugly you know like i did i did for these because it's like i'm on a, this huge time crunch as usual but it's like even worse than normally mm -hmm. uh thanks I'm for making the time to talk to me oh no it's it's <laughs> no problem i just you know it just every year it gets worse but i'm taking a year off next year i'm not doing a show next year oh yeah i, I, I was oh, supposed well, to th this year i was supposed to and then gary's like pressured me <laughs> i was like all right i'll do it this year if it's a smaller show and i can do less pieces and i'm not doing a show for sure next year mm -hmm. so you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna bug me to do a show next year right <laughs> he's like no 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 you don't have to do it next year but um <clears throat> people be disappointed but then you'll have more time to do pieces for the show in two years yeah so, i gotta i gotta catch up i gotta catch yeah. up with all this other stuff it's just gotten out of hand so I really, you know, I just, I have to get caught up in order to like, I'm just, you know, painting a show in two months. It's two months of painting. It's just like, it shouldn't be like that. I want it to be fun no. and enjoyable. Anyway, I, I projected these with a projector. I did them digitally oh. in Photoshop. I painted them. I actually, I painted a study, a quick study to get an idea. Then I photographed it. Then I took them into Photoshop and like, rearrange things clean them up painted on top of it did some photo bashing like put skies in from just pictures that i had pictures from the internet like mm -hmm. clouds and just kind of change the transparencies got everything looking good digitally and then i get a projector <clears throat> then i finished now first i finished the little study like i matched them to the digital <laughs> so it's like i painted the study halfway finished it digitally matched the study and then projected the paintings onto here and then traced it in india ink with these india ink markers i got wow and then i just did the boris vallejo thing where it was like you know blocking in color and not and being kind of messy with it mm -hmm. and then going in and getting opaque you know after i kind of did like washes almost like a watercolor just to get the colors blocked in 
and it's yeah. really it's really a great fun technique i'm really enjoying it and it's a lot faster it. yeah it's a lot faster too it's like more time up front with the digital stuff but you get the you work all the bugs out in the digital or i i did and so it's more like and then i got you know it's like this is the digital right here so that i can like use that as my reference it's traced on so it's going to be perfect size and composition and then i just match the colors yeah. it's like anyway <laughs> oh, that's a great that's great yeah because if i actually do some um color sketching i call it a color sketch in um in photoshop too mm -hmm. uh, before i start putting colors down because um Otherwise, I just waste a lot of time. The, oh, that's the wrong color. I got to right. wipe it out. And, I know, yeah. I know. It's a matter makes of the painting dirty. Yeah, yeah. It's a matter of efficiency and getting a better painting. Um, well, yeah, that's reaction. That's a great idea. That that's interesting that you um, <clears throat> your that you worked so long and that you took editorial illustration that you worked in publishing and research because it's like that's how your art your artwork is a complete. Re reflection of that you know oh, what i mean because yeah, you have to research yeah. you, you you're doing these weird historical events and turning them into paintings or weird variations of historical events and painting them so it's interesting that <clears throat> that must be you know not so much that that influenced your art as much as that's just the kind of person you are you're interested in those things so you got into publishing you're interested yeah. in writing you're interested in research and then that also applies to your artwork, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it, working in publishing showed me how easy it was to learn more about the things right. that I'm interested in. Um, you know, it's, um, I mean, when, I, when I'm interested in a subject, I start with Wikipedia. Right. And, you know, and then just read, you know, a few articles, you know, just to make sure, because Wikipedia, you know, I, I, I like to check a few sources, you know, to make yeah. sure I, you know, got the story straight. Definitely. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, my, my editorial background made all the difference to what I'm doing now. And another person who, a person who did also was Joe Coleman. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. I first saw his work in 1995 before I was even thinking about painting when I was still working in publishing in New York. I didn't move here until 2000. Um, but in, I guess it was, it was, I know it was around 95, I saw some of his work in a book in a bookstore and i just thought oh my god this is biography in the form of art it's like the yeah right i've ever seen and um the way he wrapped text around images and so i wanted to put text in my art mm -hmm. and um a few years ago i was doing lots and lots of text in my art and people started to say oh this looks like joe coleman so I got a little concerned about that because I don't want to rip anybody off. Right. Um, um, so some, so now I put some text in my art. I'm trying to make the text and art balance my own instead of somebody else's. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, you know, and sometimes, oh, here's something interesting that I want to tell you that's related to that. Um, when I first started showing here, it was at Cannibal Flower, which you also that's where oh, you also yeah. started. Yeah. And um, I mean, unfortunately, what year was I, this? pardon? What oh, year? This was 2000, 2001. I started. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize sure. we, were, we were showing. Showing in the same show. Right. We were probably we showing in the met. same shows. <laughs> I was told about Cannibal Flower by Miss Mindy and CJ Metzger, their sisters who are artists. Okay. And um, yeah. 
they had some of their art showing in, in North Hollywood. Danny and I were living in North Hollywood at the time. And um, they had, there was a clothing store with some art on the walls. And I found out who they were and contacted them. And I said, can you recommend some places I could try to show? And they said, Cannibal Flower. Right. So I met LC and he, you know, accepted a piece, you know, into my first one. And then I did a few more um, with him. And then I got pregnant and I, you know, found regular work and I just sort of dropped off the face of the earth in terms ah. of art, which, you know, I felt bad about, but I'm really not good at lots of multitasking. Mm -hmm. So the art sort of fell by the wayside for a few years, you know, when Kira was a really little and, um, right. you know, I had to you know make some money. Um, so um, where was I going with this? Oh, I reconnected with Cannibal Flower several years later, you know, when Kira was in elementary school, I guess. Um, and um, I showed him some work, you know, I showed him Cannibal Flower and I showed him some LC, some things I had been working on. And he said, they're way too smart, which I think was his <laughs> nice way of saying that I was choosing kind of obscure topics that not everybody knew about. I think that was his way of nicely saying the, the, the topics inaccessible to people. Hmm. So that was something I started thinking about. And so first I tried to solve that problem by putting text in my art, you know, ah. inspired by Joe. Oh, Coleman. interesting. Okay. And then when that was sort of borderline, you know, maybe too much like Joe Coleman, I started thinking about topics that maybe more people knew, or if they didn't, how can I make this visually interesting? So even if they don't know who it is, it's a cool image. Right. Know? So right. that's what I'm trying to do now. Yeah. Cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. That that's that's what I that's my uh that's something that I come across a lot with students I have. Um with because I, I teach uh mentorship. I have a mentorship chair on my Patreon, so I do have students. And um, you know, it's like a lot of times they're trying to get, you know, a meaning across or, you know, worried about if they're telling a certain story or worried mm -hmm. if it's like, if they just make the image so cool that it doesn't matter. And then right. if that's my attitude, and then if they want to look deeper, there is a story there for them and then it'll be even cooler. But the, but the thing is to work as just an image first, first and mm -hmm. foremost, it has to be a great, cool painting that you want to look at. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I think when um, I was in a show at La Luz in December, um, the Grand Saloon, and um, I was talking to another one of the artists who was in it and looking at his work, and he told me the whole story that was behind his painting. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, okay, so I'm not the only one approaching it this way. You know, I, I want to tell a story, but Right. You know, I want the piece to be, you know, because his work attracted me like, oh, this looks really cool. But there's <laughs> also a whole story behind it. So, right. so I'm trying to now I'm trying to achieve that balance of um, it's accessible in some way to everybody, regardless of whether they know all the history. And if I need yeah. to put a little text in it to, you know, give more information, I'll do that. But yeah, yeah, the text, it's not as the text is not as heavy um, anymore. Another thing I want to do more of, um, I did a piece for Hyena um, a couple of years ago called The Blue Men of the Minch. Um, it was a um, it was a sort of a folklore theme mm -hmm. show. And the Blue Men of the Minch are these guys, they're waves, except they're also kind of monsters 
who sink ships. Mm -hmm. And there's. I think I've seen that, that painting. Yeah, the blue men in the image. Yeah. And what I did was I painted the blue the blue wave guys um, trying to sink a ship in the middle, and then I put the poem in the frame around it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so um, so that way I could you know get the story in, and you know so I have the image, and then I have the story. Right. Um, you know, it's sort of for reference around around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool because that's like a, a it's a creative. A creative solution to a creative problem or an artistic right. problem. It's like problem. A lot of art is problem solving, and uh, exactly. You know, and and that and it's and it's it's you know if you do it right, it's like the uh, the the solution makes your art better. You know, it's like mm -hmm. uh, what necessity is the mother of invention, or it's like you know sometimes these problems come up and and then you end up dealing with the problems in a way that makes art cooler in ways you never really considered you mm -hmm. know um so that's cool i'm looking forward to seeing to seeing your new pieces oh thank uh, you uh, i have a couple of them behind me um oh yeah what what are those <clears throat> um here i'll try to make it possible for you to see them okay um, this one is for the Blab Show next month. At oh, I know. Gallery. I gotta. I gotta do one. <laughs> I haven't done mine yet. Oh, you've got. <laughs> you still got time. Uh, yeah. Um, th this one is. Um, this actually does have a historical background. It's the um, the execution of the Romanov family. He was mm. the last Tsar of Russia, and they were led down to a cellar. Um, they weren't told. They were told they were going to leave, and they just had to wait for transportation in the cellar. Oh and God. then these then these guys came in and shot them. Oh, and freaky. when they, the girls, you can see in the middle, the, the, the czar's wife and his four daughters had corsets with jewels sewn into them so they could, you know, smuggle jewels out oh, wow. if, you know, so they could bribe people, you know, for oh, their wow. and bullets bounced off of them. It was like they were wearing bulletproof vests. No way. So, yeah. So then the guards had to bayonet them to kill them. Oh my and God. I thought, How can I tell this story so that it's not. <laughs> totally a gory mess you know so so i um made them a, into uh, i made the bullets and bayonet strikes into stars that is so cool Thank that's you. great Thank wow you. awesome i love it and this is behind me it's hard can you see it uh-huh yeah yeah you can see it okay it's um this is about the defenestrations of prague um prague has a history of throwing people out of windows really as an execution method yeah well oh. i don't think they do it anymore <laughs> I hope not. yeah but for for you know like a couple centuries they were tossing people out of windows and a lot of it had to do with hussites jan hus who is a protestant leader was burned at the stake uh by the catholic church and um the hussites his followers actually started to gain some power in Czechoslovakia after he died. And they were very resentful of the fact that their leader was burned at the stake. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, they had different reasons for throwing people out of windows. A lot of them were just related to, um, you know, politics, mm -hmm. but it was usually uh, Hussites throwing other people, you know, out of windows. That's um, so freaky. <laughs> yeah. But what an interesting, wait, hold on one second. uh i love i love that i love it that it's a 
it's a take on you know it's a dark art take mm-hmm. but it's but it's not monsters you know or it's like it's different it's not it's it's different it's that's what's I, one of the things i love about your work is that oh thank you you're in the you're in you're representing something in the dark art realm i think that isn't represented in the dark art realm other than your work you know so it's uh it's, it's cool good to have a niche yeah exactly it's all about the <laughs> it's all about the niche <laughs> i know i know For, you know every artist needs to have a niche it's like uh it's a niche, it's a niche job in a way, unless you're an illustrator, but uh, being a fine artist is about finding your thing, you know, Yeah. finding your unique thing. Well, I just uh, fell into this niche because I love this subject matter. Um, I want to do, you know, sometimes do some just purely creative things, um, you know, and see what I come up with. Like fantasy um, type, am, you mean? Yeah, fantasy type. I actually am doing a painting um, and the main, character is a blacksmith and there's no story behind it except mm. one i just made up in my head yeah that's so cool. yeah so occasionally you know i do want to do you know work like that that's just pure fantasy you know, do that's you a feel yeah fiction. right do you feel like you need a story to paint because i because yeah because yeah, it's like i don't i barely have a story i just am you know not oriented that way i'm not like as I'm more intuitive with it where it's more about look and just, you know, it's just how I approach things. You know, it's, it's like the way I'm, I naturally approach things. It's more about like, Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> and just following that thing and developing it in that way visually. And, um, but I could make up a story about that. Oh guy yeah. No, there's a coming out of his head. Yeah, no, there's oh. a story for sure. It's, it's like, but the stories come after, you know, it's like with my book, my, that my dystopia book, it's like, those were all stories about the paintings that were written after the fact that I, you know, the paintings were intuited, mm-hmm. but there was definitely stories there, you know, there, they, different characters that had certain qualities and, but I just didn't think about them in a uh, uh, intellectual way. You know, it was more like an artistic creative, just doing it. And then realizing, oh, that guy's doing that. Oh, that guy's doing that. That guy's got, he's kind of an asshole. This guy's cool over here. <laughs> and it's like, and then you realize, oh, there's a whole story there. That was like the whole kind of idea behind the book. So it was weird. To, uh, it's just like the way I I do things though. But I know other artists that are very, you know, research oriented. I know, uh, I think David Van Gogh does a lot of research you know, David? Yes. He His last like... solo show, he actually put out a book that, you know, told the story, you know, some of the folk, right. some of the uh, religion and folklore and right, you know, right. facts behind some of his ideas. Yeah. And, and I know, I know the... Steve Cleft does that a lot, does a lot of research and Travis Louie has like, comes up with stories and yeah. So it's it, a cool thing it's... to do. He posts a story in the in the um, the caption that goes with each one of his paintings. Right. You know, I uh, love he, that. Or he has done that in the past. Yeah. You know? I just feel like I'm not. Um, I'm not very talented in that way. Like I have trouble with words. That's why I started doing the podcast. One of the reasons I started doing the podcast is so that I could speak better and have better command of the English language and conversation and. I've, it's definitely helped, but, you know, I've always been like, I remember 
when I was really little. So I remember being so young that I had these kind of complicated ideas that I wanted to talk to my family about and tell them. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't verbalize them. And I remember feeling so angry and frustrated. So it's like, there's some kind of disconnection in my brain that, that where, it, where, where my uh, language is not connected very well or my expression of like verbal language, but I can express it with art yeah. easy, easily. It's like a different way of speaking for me. Well, it's a different kind of intellectual expression. It doesn't I don't think right. it means, I don't think it means it's not intellectual. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that may be true. Yeah. It's a yeah different kind of intellect. Maybe. But, yeah. Um, no, it is. I mean, I say that partly because I you made me just what you said about your art made me think back to when I wrote poetry in college, and a lot of the poetry I was trying to write was trying to visualize with words, mm. and you know so. Now I'm visualizing things with art. <laughs> right, you know, so right. maybe I should, you know, maybe that's what I should have been doing when I was trying to write some of my poems. Right, you know? right. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's conveying ideas, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I some... mean, I, I think some of your paintings, like a lot of them seem like, you know, commentary on the industrial age. Right, yeah. You know, with the smokestacks and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and, you know, like, it seemed like you were conveying like in dystopia it seemed like you were just conveying as much of a dystopian atmosphere in each painting as you know a fiction writer you know so it's just a matter of which way you express it yeah 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 it's just that's visually visual art has always been the um way i've felt like i'm best at more most comfortable at more most naturally talented at like i try playing music and i'm a pretty good guitar player i'm not a great guitar player but I'm a pretty good songwriter, mm-hmm. but not a great player. And it was all, I taught myself to play and stuff, but um, I'm just, I'm not as good at music as I am with visual art. It's like a different, it's like writing, visual art, music. They're, they're creative in the same way, but they're very different. Like they take different talents or different skills in a way. It's like the yeah. create, the creativity part is the same, but the expression the more technical, I guess, way of expressing it is different, you know? And Absolutely. It, so yeah. it's, I'm, I'm, I've always been, you know, I've always, I've always thought that it's important to play to your strengths if you want to be really good at, at something, you know? Absolutely. And, that makes I, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I tried playing to things that were like, I was good at, but not great at <laughs> it. Did, it didn't end up working <laughs> like with my bands I was in and stuff. You know uh, what you just rem- made me think of was um, I'm a big Jethro Tull fan. Oh, really? Yeah, Jethro Tull's great. They're a great yeah, fan. Um, and um, Ian Anderson was, he's been interviewed a bunch of times where he said this, you know, in different interviews where he took up the flute partly because he felt like Eric Clapton was the king of guitar and he didn't want to have to compete with him. <laughs> that's smart yeah yeah, yeah. Well, but be- then the flute became this big you know he became the the you know the the renaissance guy right, you know, right. one foot up in the air yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that that became his thing yeah you know, so, yeah, yeah yeah sometimes saying okay this is my best means of expression is the way right. you find your niche you know? right right yeah that's so interesting that's yeah, funny because it's you know it's so not a rock and roll instrument 
It's like the least no. rock and roll instrument, except maybe the triangle or something. Even the triangle could be more rock and roll than the flute. And so it's like, I mean, that's like a cool artistic statement too, to take something so not something and, and make it work within in this context where it doesn't belong. You know, that's right. pretty, pretty cool. But they're a great band. Yeah. They're underrated. Oh, they're wonderful. Super yeah. underrated. Great musicians. They had a great drummer. I just watched, I watched some documentary on them recently. Oh, uh, you remember the name of it? I might want to see yeah, it. Yeah, it was, I mean, no, this is probably not that recent. It was probably, it's probably two years ago now. It's probably during the pandemic. There was like a couple of YouTube documentaries I watched. Um, ah, I can't remember. I can't remember. But it was cool. It was like there, uh, it was when I, I didn't realize that, um, that I forget the name of the drummer, but he was like, he's, drummers love this drummer. Like he's known as a great drummer. And I never, I didn't well, I realize. Can't I can't I, think of the name of him. I can but, picture him, but I can't think of <laughs> But he's considered a really great drummer. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah, it was something about the, there was something about the artwork too. Ah, if I find it, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to okay. you. Because, you know, they've got cool album covers and stuff too. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. Some <laughs> of the illustrated ones, like the, the cover for Stand Up, where they're all sort of lying down and it's a it's a it's an ink drawing i believe oh and the um oh my god the um the cover for broadsword and the beast painted by ian mccabe is oh really yeah i actually um when kira was in high school looking at colleges i actually emailed him to see you know what he recommended because uh, she was looking at schools in scotland and he was uh scottish and so he he actually, you know, recommended, you know, talk, he talked about Scottish colleges and he actually recommended some American ones for her to try to take, you know, summer courses. Uh-huh. Uh, he recommended Nomon. So she took. Really? Yeah. yeah wow. Ian McCabe, the guy who did that Jethro Tull cover recommended Nomon for her to try because she was in LA. So um, she took a, uh, a character design. Oh, no way. Character design wow. class there in summer, like a week long class. And she really enjoyed it. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I know the owner, uh, Alex Alvarez, mm -hmm. the guy that started it. He started that business making videos in his garage or in his bedroom, just oh, making wow. video, like uh, training, digital training videos out of his bedroom or his house. Yeah, now he's got this wow. huge school in LA. It's crazy. Yeah. I got to have him on the podcast. I've been, I've, I've been, oh, I'm sure I talked to him about it years ago but yeah he's a cool guy that what would a, be absolutely fantastic because so many people on the podcast um are work in the industry too right you know? yeah so, yeah and you know, I, he's, I he's somebody who who trains people for the industry right right yeah yeah interesting um so okay i want to know like what when did you start when you came back into it um you started painting for, for, did you, were you invited to a show or did you just start painting and then like try and get in a show or how did you navigate that? That's one thing that people want to know about that listen, a lot of, you know, artists that are starting out, listen to the podcast and they want to know how you did it, you know, cause you're in shows all the time now and selling work and stuff. So yeah, I'm very. how did very you do it? <laughs> how things are going right now. Um, well, I started in, um, the first place I showed was Cannibal Flower um, and um, dropped the ball with Cannibal Flower at first because, you know, I had right. a baby and I was working. Yeah. And so then when I 
sort of picked the ball back up. I showed in cannibal flower again, and something happened. There was there's one thing that stands out in my mind um, is Sala Gallery. Um, they were open for close to 10 years, um, and then they had to close because one of the owners had to leave for personal reasons. Um, mm. But a terrific gallery. Um, huh. And um, Daniel, um, yep, Daniel's been a big help to me. Like you were talking about Boris Viejo's book. Well, guess who had it? You know, on his bookshelf, Daniel did. Um, <laughs> and um, so he actually he was working on How I Met Your Mother at the time as a set designer. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the actresses on the show was Kobe Smulders, who is Canadian by birth. And so she was friends with a woman who's also Canadian by birth, Shannon Curry Holmes. And she and Kenzie Alexander were running Sella Gallery in oh. Hollywood. And um, my husband, Daniel, took went over to you know, see their show. And he said, you know, well, my wife, I was doing t-shirts at the time. That's another way I got into art was, was, uh, you know, when Cure was in preschool, I started designing t-shirts and printing them. Hmm. And Daniel said, well, you know, my wife, you know, prints t-shirts and, you know, I see that you have, you know, some things for sale, t-shirts for sale. Maybe you'd be interested in showing her work. And um, so I met them and I brought my t-shirts in and they actually, um, they invited me to do, um, uh, be part of a four-person show, and I was just floored as I like, from your T-shirts. Yeah, well, they looked at the art on the T-shirts and they said, "Would you like to be in a wow. show that we're going to have in a few months?" That's and pretty cool. I was like, wow, thanks! <laughs> I was like blown away. You know, and it was the first time I'd ever been in a show that wasn't like fifty people. You know, right? So that was in gosh, when was that? Uh, Two thousand eight, I think. It was a long time ago. Um, so I did that show. And um, I was very encouraged by that. And um, again, I sort of fell off the face of the fine art planet because I was doing t-shirts still. I was trying to you know, keep the t-shirt business going and that went okay. Um, I'm glad I did t-shirts because it actually led to me doing other things. But if you design t-shirts, I thought, oh, t-shirts, people like t-shirts. Right, you know, right. you know, I can sell my art. You know, it'd be easy to sell your right. art. It's not. Right. You become, oh, yeah. You make that that means you 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 make apparel. So yeah, it's about, that's that's a whole other market. It and is. It's, it's and hard to make money selling t-shirts. It, it actually is. And you know, we did all right, but um you used to have booths that you used to have booths, right? That's I remember, I remember how, yes, I remember your shirts. I remember yeah. your booth at Monster Palooza. Yeah, Monster Palooza. That's when you first saw Daniel's machines and invited him to be in. Right. Conjoined. Right. That's right. Yeah. It, it all that's comes how full all that circle. Started. Wow. What a trip. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> we actually started doing um, trade shows together because of t shirts. And he's, Daniel built me this cabinet, you know. For, for displaying the shirts, this beautiful cabinet, you know, made out of, you know, based on antique furniture and he built it up and um, he started making his own Frankenstein machines. Yes, um, we didn't talk about Daniel's amazing Frankenstein oh machines. Oh my God, yeah, they're, they're so cool. Anyway, keep going. I just forgot to mention that when we when we were talking about him in the no, beginning. No, I'm, but... I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, they're um, so cool. But his Frankenstein machines, you know, attracted a lot of attention at those shows. And if it hadn't been for him, I would have had like a tablecloth and a vinyl sign. 
Right, right, right. That's you so know, cool. So, so, you know, we, we support each other's yeah. artistic pursuits and, you know, being married to him has made all the difference, you know, yeah. in life, you know, transitioning over to art. Oh, that's um, so cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's funny. I, I mentioned the cell gallery thing partly because I started doing dark art. I, the first few pieces I did and presented to them for that show were, were kind of dark. And they mm. said, we'd actually rather they not be as they, you know, they'd be more about folklore and fantasy and not so dark. So <laughs> shocker, shocker. Steered away from that. Um, but I still wanted to do dark art. Um, from the time I was a little kid, you know, dark and racy subject matter had always kind of appealed to me. <laughs> when I was nine years old, I was in a summer camp with a theater program and they needed somebody to paint great big standees of a king and a queen because the uh -huh. theater show featured a king and a queen i said i want to do them you know and they knew i could draw it you know and you know i could paint with poster paints and stuff you know so i was like they, they gave me the job to do and i painted the queen with these enormous boobs <laughs> and, you know like you know those because it was this, you and i are from the same generation you know that grew up mostly in the 70s and early 80s mm -hmm. so um, so, you know, there were all these like Charlie's Angels, you know, had like those right. halter top. So I painted the queen with like these great big boobs and a halter top and, um, you know, and then finished them. And then when they put on the show, somebody had completely repainted them. <laughs> <laughs> Too and revealing. They, they painted a flat chested queen, you know, who was acceptable, you know, for a kid's show. But, um, I never stopped being interested in doing, you know, push the envelope art. Mm -hmm. Um and um hyena was the place where i first really got to pull out all the stops oh that. yeah and whenever i show at hyena it, it was also where i had you know my first solo show it feels like going home right. showing at hyena because um you know bill schaefer well not only is he an incredibly supportive person you know for other mm -hmm. artists but he encourages people to just pull out all the stops right yeah um and Definitely. if you if you need to do that, sometimes you can do it there. Right. You know? Yeah. So when I first heard about hyena, so I, I remember asking, I can't remember who it was. I asked, do you know that hyena gallery? And they said, oh, well, you know, they sell art by convicted murderers. And I thought to myself, and I said, oh, but I thought to myself, well, you know, convicted murderers create art too. You know, yeah. so <laughs> so they do. You know, and, it's and true. And they're not murdering people while they're creating. Right. You know, they have <laughs> That's so true. That's a good way to look at it. Is, well, I mean, yeah, it's I mean, I mean it's fast. Know, we're not yeah. murdering people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's that's a whole. It's an outlet. Yeah. An outlet for our yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If they were, if they would have been doing it all along, maybe they wouldn't have been killing people. You know. Well, exactly. Some kind of outlet. Exactly. You know, and there are other, you know, there, and now dark art has really grown in, yeah. um, in LA. Um, yeah, there are I mean, a lot you... of venues where, you know, now it's more than acceptable. Like Copa, I know. they're also incredibly supportive, yeah. supportive of dark artists. Um, it's crazy, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. it's, it's, I've seen such a huge shift. Um, you know i've seen people at this point it's like i've seen people which this bums me out but um i've seen people that are like oh i need to start doing dark art 
<laughs> even though they're not naturally dark artists it's like yeah exactly it's like but it's like you know as a as a movement gains steam and popularity and there seems to be a um supportive environment of people together supporting each other other artists want to be a part of that and um you know that's but that's a sign that the the movement's gaining popularity is is when uh other people start feeling like they're outside of the group and they want to come in and it's like the whole reason we started you know or i started the podcast and we started supporting each other as a dark art society and just supporting dark artists each of us helping each other was because we were the outside people from the regular art scene or at least that's how i felt you know yeah and i did, too. I did it at some galleries although when i mentioned Sella, i mean they were very supportive especially yeah, that's since cool. it was my first you know small group show yeah um, they just weren't oriented toward that right type of art. right you know, it was fine um, yeah yeah but, yeah they were i was like absolutely so grateful to them for giving me that opportunity because it was a you know early on you know an opportunity yeah. to do something more than one painting for a large group show yeah yeah, yeah that's and i continued great. to show with them um for for years afterwards and actually daniel and i had a, a dual show there really uh, yeah in uh, 2013 and with his frankenstein it, machines yeah oh no way we called it enlightenment um because you know, we wanted to do something where the Frankenstein machines would complement my art. And so I got the idea of, okay, you know, um, when did people start using, you know, well, first there was Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein, mm -hmm. you know, who wrote that book in the, like the 18 teens, I think, you know. Um, and um, so then I started thinking about the scientists uh, Galvani and Volta, mm -hmm. who, you know, their electricity was used to see if animals could come back to life. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And um, then I thought, well, if we're doing Galvani and Volta, who else can we do from that time period? Well, let's do James Watt, the Scottish guy who invented the steam, you know, or who perfected the, the, uh, the steam engine. And, um, you know, Ben Franklin, why not him? I found out about this group that I never knew anything about called the Hellfire Club. Yeah. Um, and, Franklin <laughs> and you know, a bunch of, you know, sort of rich guys would, you know, go into these caves and yeah. wild parties. And yeah. so I actually did a, a piece about that. I did a piece about um, the Lunar Society. It was a group of intellectuals and scientists, um, you know, who produced work together and, you know, met together. Um, and so our show was a sort of co a combination of, you know, 18th, 19th century science and the Frankenstein machines. Oh, cool. So, yeah, it was really great. It was really great to do a show together. Yeah, that's like really that. cool. That must yeah. have been super fun. It was. It was. Wow. Yeah. So do you, what you, um, what do you have? I know you've got, you've got shows, a show coming up. Or you've got two shows coming up, or probably more than two shows. I know you have. Uh... Well, no, just two for right now. Okay. Um, I have I have um, the Blab show, which you're also going to be in, <laughs> which um, I haven't started. I have to do the. I have to do. I don't even have an idea for my piece yet. It's like it was like one of those things where I was like, "Oh shit!" Monty emailed me. I was like, "Oh, I knew I shouldn't have said yes," but he's such a nice guy, and I've done the Bla oh, Blab show for so long. I just have Another to fit. really another really supportive person yeah super super cool um yeah. super cool guy 
So I'll probably just do something small, maybe just quick, but man, it's a bad time. Yeah, but you've anyway, got a month, I think. Awesome. Yeah, but I've got a month and I've got a whole other show I'm painting for. And I have a bunch of tool posters I got to fit. I got so much stuff to do. It's ridiculous, but. You've always got, yeah, a ton of stuff. I, yeah, I remember when the cartoonist Terry Moore, who did um, Strangers in Paradise, the comic book series um, that, that I used to read, he was interviewed and he said, you know, becoming well-known just means more work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's so true. But anyway, so 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 after after Blab, what do you have? After Blab, I'm um I'm scheduled to be a featured artist at Lalou's in October. Oh, that's great. So, What's the yeah, date? Um, What's the uh, I think it's October 8th. I have to double check. Damn it. <laughs> that's the same night as my show. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I was I was kind of worried about that, um, but you know what? You send people to my show, I'll send. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people you hear people like, yeah, we we you know they they show hop, they go yeah, from they show, show to show. Yeah. You know who so else has a show that night is Travis Louie. Oh no! Well, we'll, we'll just send each other. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's going to try and get his change, but I don't know if he can. He's going to try and get it moved a, a day earlier. But I might, you know, I'll I'll talk to. Um, I mean, it's a, a it's a show with other people in it, and I don't know if you know. Yeah, people, you know, people. I don't know if they can move it. You know, if people. Yeah, are traveling yeah, or, yeah. That's well, the thing. It's like I've got, I got people coming in from out of town for it, so it's like yeah. I can't, I can't. But people like people like like I just said, people jump around to shows and stuff. Yeah. So. So hopefully, yeah, people will just be running around, you know, looking at dark art. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All I mean, right. think about how cool that is. There's three dark art shows in one night. Yep. You know, you can't that's get pretty more amazing. Than that. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and if it's too close to Halloween, then you know, it's right. then I don't know. I think it, you know, it helps to get people all excited. You know, psyched for Halloween yeah. and over in the month. So. Yeah, that's always the issue with um, with uh, October shows is you don't want to be too close to Halloween because then people are going they won't go because they're going to Halloween parties and stuff. So it's like you gotta better exactly. better yeah. to do it early though. Um, yeah. So what what's the uh, the what's the theme of your show in October? Is there a theme or is it just like a bunch of pieces or? It's right now. It's a bunch of pieces, and I'm gonna try to come up with a name. I think I might have to come up with a name for it or something that sort of links them all together. Yeah, or find what's find what's common about them. Yeah, I mean you know? there there is his. Four of, I'm doing five pieces. Four of the five um, are historical, you know, subject matter. And the fifth one is sort of a fantasy, but it kind of, it's a little reminiscent of, you know, medieval blacksmithing. So I could, mm. you know. um, so um, yeah, so I might come up with a, a theme that, you know, is semi-historical, you know, in yeah. the <laughs> When I had my solo show at Hyena, I called it the Bleeding Encyclopedia. Oh, that's great. Because, yeah, thank you. Um, because I went, that's the show. I, I went to that show. Yeah, I saw yes. you and Christopher Ulrich there. So right, right. You guys there. Yes, that was thank great. That was a great show. <laughs> a lot of it was, most of it was historical. You know, there was right. a piece about Charles Darwin. There's a piece about Burke and Hare. You know, the right, right. in Edinburgh, Scotland and murdered, you know, 16 people so they could sell their bodies to do an right. animal. Um, <laughs> um, there was a piece about chimney sweeps. Um, there was a piece about Ivar the Boneless, um, the, the Viking. Um, 
So, yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You're you're mentioning them, and I'm remembering them now. You know, your stuff would be really well suited for a for a book too. That's what everybody keeps saying. And that would be like you going kind of going full circle back to your back to publishing, and you and you yeah. have you have connections to publishing, so it's possible to be able to to pitch to someone too, and actually get it like published by a book publisher instead of doing it like me and spending a ton of money and publishing yourself. <laughs> well, my connections in publishing are really old and they're not really in, in common. Like people, you know, who are involved yeah. in comics. So hopefully, you know, they can help me find, find a publisher. I'd love to have a publisher. Um, I did, here, I'll show you this. I have this, I did a comic book in 2016. It's called Darth Baby. No way. It, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, not many people know because I didn't, sell it very widely it's obviously got copyright issues so, you know, <laughs> so i, I self-published it but it's about when i was 13 years old i had a crush on darth vader <laughs> I, just, I just thought he was the hottest thing walking and oh I, yes you're a dark yeah, a you're a dark art person for sure yeah. well <laughs> i think when you're 13 you kind of you know boys aren't really that interested in you know nobody's that interested in really dating yet at that age right. maybe a little bit but not that much and so you know a fantasy character is the perfect person to have a crush on right you know, you're that's sort true of in between childhood and teenhood yeah so yeah so i wrote this whole comic book about <laughs> you know so i sold you know i sold it in a few places um but yeah it's but um i have ideas for more books so i actually going forward after the Lelou's show, I'm going to start working on some ideas for books. And one, I want to do oil paintings for, for the spreads. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So um, there are other artists who do that. They do, you know, non-comic book, you know, conventional, you know, they, they don't always use ink and, and um, right. Dr. Martin's inks. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, one artist I love is Dave McKean. Oh, yeah. Seen? Yeah. He's great. No, he's, I mean, he's somebody who, you know, every panel in a comic book he's in, it looks like an individual fine art work. Right. Fine art. It blew my mind. When I first saw Dave McKean in the 1990s, uh, I went to St. Mark's Comics and um, I said, can you recommend something for me that I've never read? You know, just something that everybody thinks is great, but, you know, but I haven't read that many comics. So, so they gave me Sandman. Oh, cool. And that was when I discovered his work. And so then I started, you know, buying more books of his. Um, he's just one of my favorite fine artists of all time, and his work is so good. Um, I, one reason I came to something like oil painting so late is I just thought, you know, when I was in my 30s, you know, when I was younger, I just thought I'll never be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's somebody who's trained in fine art. I could never do that. And that's one reason I started with t-shirts. And, you know, when I start say, okay, how can I get more art out there? I thought, well, t-shirts, because t-shirts are more design, you know, it's right. more drawing, it's more, I can do designs in Illustrator and Photoshop, because um, I can't paint, you know, but then when I learned how to paint with oils, I just fell in love with it. And I'm really glad I, you know, wasn't so intimidated by the work that I first saw that I never even tried it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it was for me too. I was like, I mean, I've always wanted to paint in oils, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do at first. And it just is, you know, figuring out drawing times and all that stuff. And, um, 
But once, so I started with acrylics because it's like, okay, it's water. You use water for your medium. That's all I was doing. Water, thin it down. It dries in a few minutes and you just kind of keep layering stuff. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's easy. And, uh, but then one, and then you switch to oils and then it's frustrating. But once you get it, it's like, oh, it all just kind of clicks. And then I just never went back to it after that. You know, I dabbled a little bit, but it's, it's like, I, I can make it work the way I want to now. And it's, I don't feel any need to do, do it any other way now, you know? I'm starting to prefer it. Um, I love pen and ink. And yeah, pen and ink's great. If I need oh. to color a work of pen and ink with watercolor, I'll do it. And I've done some work for galleries, you know, in, in ink and watercolor, but um, mm -hmm. I like the outcome I get with oil paint better. And I actually personally find it easier than watercolor because watercolor what? is very hard to correct if you make yeah. a mistake. Watercolor is, yeah. I always say that it's like the hardest medium. It's the one medium that I feel like I never really, um, well, between drawing, pen and ink, or graphite, pen and ink, oil painting, and acrylic painting, and sculpture, watercolor is like the one, and digital, watercolor is the one I never, I, I gave up on. It's I never, you know, was able to master it or even come close to mastering it. So it's like uh, people like Steve Clef, again, I mentioned him. He's a really great, I don't know if you've seen his stuff. He's been on the show. Uh, this stuff's really cool is watercolor stuff. And it's so, yeah, it's impossible to fix. If you mess it up, you have to get it right the first time. Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, you can, there have been times when I've fixed parts of a watercolor painting with um, either a scrubber brush or um, I read about this somewhere on the internet. You can use um, those um, Mr. Clean magic erasers. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if you're starting with just white watercolor paper, you can, right. um, yeah, it, it sort of bleaches out the color, ah. but, it, but you have to be careful. It has to be like damp, not wet. Otherwise the, the bleach and it will just. Wow. <laughs> good to know. That's good to yeah, know. It's a, it's a really useful uh, tip that I'm I just gonna, found on the internet. I wonder if Steve knows about that. I'm going to tell him. About <laughs> <I don't that. laughs> you might not need Mr. Clean Magic Erasers. That's true. <laughs> That's true. He's probably beyond that stage. <laughs> right. He's beyond his Mr. Clean stage. <laughs> That'll become like the new thing in watercolor. You know, getting yeah. past the Mr. Clean stage. <laughs> Everybody goes through their Mr. Clean Eraser stage. <laughs> That's right. Well, Thanks so much for coming on. Is there any any last words? Is there any anything else you'd want to promote or or before we go? Um, I can't think. Well, I've mentioned the two shows I'm going to be in, and mm. I would just like to. I guess I'd like to thank all the people, all the you know the gallery curators that I've worked with who have you know been so supportive, getting me started. That you know, LA just has some wonderful supportive gallery owners. Right. It's Everyone's always giving thing. LA a like saying how phony and shitty the people are. And it's like, oh. there's so many cool people that I know in LA that it's like, you know, you're just hanging out with the wrong people. If you think LA is full of assholes, it's like, no way, man. There's like some of the coolest people I know are in LA. Yep. Yep. I agree. You know, it's a, it's the, the art community is very, yeah. Scary. The art community find, is amazing. You know, I find that artists, you know, you know, share techniques with each other and, you know, they, 
you know, they go get to each other's shows and I mean the Dark Art Society is a perfect example of that. I mean, one reason I was, you know, really excited about coming on this podcast is, you know, how much this podcast has done for me in terms of not making me feel like an amateur. You know, like when you when you do your own, you develop your own techniques, you think to yourself, oh well the pros probably don't do it like this. This is probably just really amateurish. But then on the the podcast, I started to hear artists talk about the way they do things and their own insecurities that they had when they yeah. were starting and their yeah. own special techniques they developed with, you know, just household items that work for them. You know, and I'm I was just like, oh, so I'm not such a loser as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like you get okay. Even like you know, talking to Brom and you know all these yeah. big name artists that oh, are Brom, that have have. I love. I yeah, love he's Brom. he's you and know, he's, Lori Lee Brom also. Oh yeah, yeah. It's Another like beautiful work. Yes, yes. He's a legend, and he was talking all the same stuff that we all go through. It's like it doesn't matter if you're um, successful or not. It's like you're still part of the same crew, kind of. You know, you're still mm -hmm. part of the same group or same family it's like we all understand these things that we go through and um yeah that's good i'm glad to hear that i'm glad to hear that well it's I, been a, i think it helps a lot of artists that this podcast and also there have been some uh really great um uh cooperative small cooperatives that have been cropping up for dark artists i belong to one called nocturnum mm, yeah um, I've, I've heard of that one yeah ken carano is in charge of it he's oh cool really a nice guy um and um you know right now we're having a show called abandoned you know where you know the artists in the group have um you know put on the knock or can put them on the nocturnal website pieces that are great pieces but for what for whatever reason never sold you know, oh cool haven't found the right owner so you know um so you know uh there's a, a theme you know from time to time that you know nocturnum does and you know nocturnum has the people have chats um on instagram and we did our first live art group you know where we all were live on instagram it was the first time i'd ever done it so, <laughs> um and um, that was a great oh and another thing he nocturnum did was um everybody had to do well not had to but if they wanted to they could do a giveaway of their art and that was the first time i'd done that you know so oh, nocturnum cool. is you know it's it's getting people to do things that they're scared of doing right you know, if they have you know okay now a bunch of a bunch of us are all going to do it so i won't look like an idiot yeah. you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, know? Like, you know and we're like talking about how many likes or followers we got from the giveaway and you know sort of comparing notes on how well it worked and mm -hmm. you know what you know um so to do that as a as a group you know it's yeah. really it boosts everybody's confidence yeah you know? yeah the dark art society and also these cooperatives you know like nocturnum it's really made a difference yeah that's great to yeah. a lot of ours yeah community is super important i think especially for especially when you're doing oh, yeah. art because when you're doing art when you're an artist it's like you're already kind of in the minority of most people and then when you're doing dark art you're in a minority of the minority you know so it's so so having a, a a group setting is doubly important so you know that's why i've always um encouraged people as well that are that listen to the podcast it's like you know go start your own little art group with people in your you know social circle or in your community you know it's like 
exactly. there's there's other people like you um uh waiting to support you and want your support you know it's a great thing so oh and i just want to mention a name that i forgot when i was talking about hyena gallery brian bubonic it was all, oh brian brian, gallery brian with, bubonic you know, I didn't, is didn't awesome. want to talk about hyena and and you know, talk about it without mentioning Brian because he's super supportive. And Brian's Brian's the coolest guy ever. Yeah, he is. I love Brian. Me Shout too. out Brian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for for coming on the show. And and Thank you so much. And, and if you uh, don't hang up, but you do have to say goodbye to the audience. So just say okay. goodbye, audience. Goodbye, audience. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for watching, and thank you so much for having me. Oh um, my! It's, it's been really fun, and you were right. I I wasn't nervous after I <laughs> it's my hidden talent i never knew i had until i you needed must, to yeah. have it you're just podcast. sending out the don't get nervous vibes <laughs> just like really chilly vibes that Excellent. i picked up on <laughs> good all right well thanks